The story that we learn in the book of Acts about the apostle Paul are fascinating as Luke is the teller of this story. He shares uh, first off, of course, uh, the conversion experience. Uh, Paul, who was formerly known as Saul, was this self-appointed police for those that were leaning Christian in their Jewish walk. And he sought as much as he was able to track them down and to bring them into court. For those that were at the point of being lynched, he did nothing to stop the process. Do you remember the story of how Stephen, after his witness, which was too much for those to bear that heard it, Saul stood by holding the cloaks of those that stoned Stephen to death. The Lord had much to deal with in this man named Saul. But on a road to Damascus one day, Saul heard his name called out. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? This was not one of those moments like Samuel and Eli where Saul said, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Saul simply said, who are you, Lord? And from that began the most beautiful relationship, perhaps that the Lord has done this side of the cross. It is a fascinating story of this missionary who saw the Lord reaching out to him and calling him to reach out to those who he knew were crossed off the list of important souls as far as his faith rearing had gone. This was a very stringent law and to understand the context of the scripture that was read this morning, it is important to know that the apostle Paul had been called in to the council of, at Jerusalem in order to share what he was doing in offering to the Gentiles this gospel and that he was adjusting things in order that they might be receivers of this holy word about Jesus, the Savior. As it says here in the fourth verse and the fifth verses, when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees stood up and said, it is necessary for them to be circumcised and ordered to keep the law of Moses. And is it, it is at this point that Paul goes into a very fascinating description of what he thinks should be occurring with this outreach to those who were seen as barbarians by the Jewish elite that were a part of the church at that time. This Acts 15 story 
connects in with Acts 17 and really throughout the entirety of this telling of the early church. Do you remember in Acts 17 where Paul in his travels finally reaches the city, the great city of Athens? And in that city, he detects that those people that are there had been offering up their hearts to any number of gods. In fact, as he walked through the city, he saw idols that were uh, to give opportunity of not only memory but also prayer to be offered to these many entities of heaven as the people saw it. There is a fascinating passage here in the 17th chapter where it says, then Paul stood in front of the Areopagus and said, Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. For as I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found among them an altar with the inscription, to an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, he who is Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mortals life and breath and all things. From one ancestor, he made all nations to inhabit the whole earth, and he allotted the times of their existence and the boundaries of the places where they would live so that they would search for God and perhaps grope for him and find him, though indeed he is not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said." Do you see what Paul is up to in this passage that recounts his presence in Athens? Paul walked and he observed among the peoples. He listened and then he shared, not judgmentally, but from his heart, he shared in the context of community of which he saw himself as being a part. Kairos is prison ministry in the Emmaus Walk tradition. I've had the opportunity to be a part of a team that offered Kairos down in Wilcox County to the prison there. On the occasions that I was participating, I was fascinated that In Kairos ministry, the team of those who are going in have to meet together seven or eight times in preparation for that event. And when they meet to get together, they speak the same mantra over and over again, which is, listen, listen, love, love. It is a beautiful statement which becomes a part of the very heart of those that are about to offer Christ in the midst of very difficult circumstances and difficult people. I think that this theme 
is a part of what Paul was working with. Listen, listen, love, love. It too, I think, is the nature of what's going on in our community through a group of persons that have entitled themselves beloved community. They don't do that exclusively. They seek to do it in connection with every person that is in Bullock County. But they take that moniker from Martin Luther King Jr. who talked over and over again about beloved community and how he expressed himself in his nonviolent frame of mind to be able to work the Lord's justice. One thing I read that he said, while we abhor segregation, we must love the segregationists. That is profound to think about. While we abhor segregation, we must love the segregationist. This week I called our mayor, Jonathan McCollar, just to talk with him a bit because I had heard about a part of his administration focusing specifically on what it means to be inclusive and diverse in this community. In fact, they have given it a name, and I think this will be walked out even more so in the community over this next year, but they're calling it One Borough. One Borough. Be listening for that. The reason I was calling him is that I had heard that they had named it One Borough, which got me to thinking, we have our visioning that's going on one in Christ. Do you remember this from last week? One in Christ, one community, one calling. And I told him, I said, I think it is an interesting coincidence that we, not knowing what you all were doing, have come with such a similar name to the same sort of ideas. Now, after last week's worship, there was at least one person who said, I wonder if they're trying to work an angle on the one church plan as we're preparing for general conference. That's one of the proposals. And I want to tell you straight out that this is not some kind of angle on the one church plan. For one thing, I will have no vote in regard to that. And we will deal with the church, whether it comes down traditionalist or whether it comes down one church, whatever are the decisions that are made at General Conference, we will still be Pippin Park gathered in praise of the Lord Jesus Christ. You and I have big things before us to do. And one is to live out community in the way that the Apostle Paul did. Even better yet, in the way that Jesus did, can you remember the way in which he was accused of taking fellowship with those that the church had already written off and would have nothing to do with? Well, Paul had that infused into him, I believe, on the road to Damascus. As he began to listen to the Lord, he realized that he was following a Lord who was a listener, who cared about community. 
and all persons within the community. This is a melting pot that we simply call Statesboro. You and I are a part of a community that is very diverse. I saw a bumper sticker just this week. It was on the back of a car that was traveling down the bypass and it read, this world is but a country and all of us are citizens of it. Now I looked closer, I thought to myself, surely they're from Asheville, North Carolina. But it was a Bullock County tag. And I thought, God bless their soul, for they are speaking Paul's logic. Do you hear that? Do you realize that they're speaking the Apostle Paul's logic? The Apostle Paul, the one who stood before the council in Jerusalem and said, now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing on the neck of the disciples a yoke that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear? I mean, we haven't been able to keep the law in the way that the law was intended to be kept. And now you're saying that they have to keep the law in order that they can become Christian. This was not Paul's logic, nor was it Christ's logic, I don't believe. He goes on to say, on the contrary, we believe that we will all be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, which is not controversial. That is not controversial. Every one of us sitting here believes that. That's why we are here. We believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. But what is really powerful is what he added as an addendum. He said, just as they will, just as they will to see the world and what God is able to do is absolutely profound. If you drew a three mile radius around Pittman Park, of course you would include Georgia Southern, but you would include a wide assortment of all kinds of folk. I know this, and I know it up close, and I see it just like you see it. We are a part of a community of many different races, many different nationalities, many different languages. We are a part of a melting pot that we call Statesboro. For the past several years, on Ash Wednesday, I have marked the foreheads of many a person with ashes, reminding them, from dust you have come to dust you shall return. Did you know that I have been doing that over on the campus of Georgia Southern. Joan Killian, uh, the rector of Trinity Episcopal Church, is the one that motivated me and a number of other ministers to join together in doing this. Now, sadly, Joan has just moved uh, to another appointment and is no longer here with us. Uh, But uh, I am glad to say that Taylor Hartman, who is the pastor at First Presbyterian Church just across the street from us has taken up the banner. And she and I and other pastors will be gathered on Wednesday, March the 6th, and marking the foreheads of any student that will approach us that ask for that to be done. Over the last several years, it's been interesting to see that some students know exactly what Lent is about 
And this is a beginning of a contemplative time of preparation for the day great celebration of the day of Easter. But some students have no clue. In fact, some have come up to us and asked, what is Lent? And as we try to explain that to them, some will say, well, I don't want you to mark my head with ashes. But others will say, yes, I very much do want you to mark my head with ashes. And I want to try this. We had a young man come up to us a couple of years ago now. And he was so bold as to ask, could you tell me what the church is and what it is about? Joan and I were caught off guard. In fact, I began to look around to see if there were candid cameras somewhere because I thought to myself, he can't be real. I mean, there's nobody in our community that doesn't know what the church is. There's nobody in the nation that doesn't know what the church is, surely, you know? And I began to think, okay, I'm gonna watch this guy because he's gonna meet up with a bunch of friends just around the corner and he's gonna laugh, laugh, laugh at having gotten us. And I did, I watched him as he walked with a very straight face and didn't meet up with anybody. Why? Because now I believe, I believe that we live in such a diverse community that there are some that still do not know what God is up to through the church. There was a survey not long ago of those persons that have no religion by their own claim. It was a group of 18 to 34 year olds that were being surveyed. And the question was of these that said that they had no particular interest or allegiance to a religion, they were asked, how interested would you be in hanging out with a church pastor or staff member? Now, you know how that went over with that group, don't you? (laughs) 84% of them said they had no interest whatsoever in hanging out with a pastor or with a staff person of a church. It is interesting to me that 16% of them might have liked to have a, a conversation, you know? That's interesting to me, that 16% who didn't consider themselves to have any faith at all would like to have a conversation. You and I realize that we live in a culture that says no to the church. If you're honest with yourself and you look into the melting pot of this community that we call Statesboro, you know that there are some that want to have nothing to do with the church at all. I believe that in some way we are being called to be the church in our culture that says yes to the communities know. However, there was another question that was added to that survey. And the question was, what if anything do you like or would you like about the church? And there was a resounding answer among 100% of the respondents that said community. Now, this is powerful. Now, get this. Here we are talking about one in Christ, one community, one calling. And the answer that was overwhelming in this survey 
was that community was the one thing that they saw that was good about the church that they might like to be a part of. In fact, one person wrote specifically on the survey, I would be more likely to attend church if I could find a community I could relate to. Now, the very quotable John Bagwell, my father, was with us about a week ago. Some of you had the chance to be with him. He loves to talk politics. He loves to talk theology. He loves to talk church. And this was a church conversation. He and I were talking about general conference and some of the things that are coming down the wire and what will that be like and what will the decisions be. And in the midst of that conversation, he uttered these words. He said, whether you like it or not, we are one. And I thought to myself, yeah, he's that citizen of the world that country that binds us all together. Today is an interesting day. You may not have known that this is actually Random Act of Kindness Day. They've got a day for everything on the calendar, right? <laughs> this is National Random Act of Kindness Day. But it so happens that, that our children have been functioning with a calendar for the entirety of this month. Um, and you'll be able to pick up one of those. The parents of our children already have one of these uh, because it's been distributed to them, but these are, are available. And in fact, we want you to pick one up on your way out because it gives very simple expressions of how children and their parents uh, could incorporate random acts of kindness in order to help someone else know that they are a part of of the same community that we are a part of, and we love that community in which we sit and walk around and listen to people. Now, some of these suggestions you know are put together uh, not specifically for our community, because I notice here on February the 4th it says shovel snow for a neighbor. So that does, <laughs> that does not work. That does not work here. But, the, but on February the 5th, it says, talk to someone new at school. Now, that's, that's incredible for a student to step out and to talk with someone new at school is a very risky thing, you know, um, but something that we would want them to learn along the way to do. Um, this, this is interesting. On, on February the 13th, it says, smile at five strangers. You ought to keep people guessing when you go into Walmart next, right? Just smile at them and see what happens. Um, but on, on February the 14th, now these days have already passed, of course, in our month, but February the 14th, you know what the suggestion is here? It says, make a special homemade valentine for your janitor at school. Wow. Wow, isn't that interesting? Now, as you pick these up, you will have the opportunity to work through these. And you may say to yourself, well, the first half of the month's already gone. I won't have to cover those. But I would encourage you to not only work those last days of this month on this calendar and to adjust them so that they fit with who you are as a person in the Lord and in this community, but that you even go back and work the other suggestions as well. 
our children lead the way. They always do, it seems, you know? They're gathered close to to Christ and, and they have a way of understanding the world differently than we do. And in fact, the next generation, if you haven't already figured that, this generation looks at the world differently than the generation before this generation, as did the generation before that. But have you considered the idea that the next generation will see the world a little differently than you and I see the world? Does that give you calls for alarm and concern? It probably does. I hope that it gives you a sense in which God is doing the leading in the hearts of those around whom he will mold the church to be the church that it needs to be in whatever culture because he has done that since the very beginning of the church. Paul said, as I remind you, on the contrary, we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. And so do you have this love for Christ in community? Say it with me again. One in Christ, one community, one calling. And then our mantra, which I borrow so freely from Kairos, listen, listen, love, love. As we come to the Lord's precious table, I encourage you to take the uh, laminated cards that have the communion liturgy uh, that are available there in the pew and let us share together in this precious time at God's invitation.